Section four of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter eight. London, April third, Old Style, seventeen forty seven. Dear boy, if I am rightly informed, I am now writing to a fine gentleman in a scarlet coat laced with gold, a brocade waistcoat, and all other suitable ornaments. The natural partiality of every author for his own works makes me very glad to hear that Mr. Hart has thought this last edition of mine worth so fine a binding, and as he has bound it in red, and gilt it upon the back, I hope he will take care that it shall be lettered too. A showish binding attracts the eyes, and engages the attention of everybody, but with this difference, that women and men who are like women mind the binding more than the book, whereas men of sense and learning immediately examine the inside and if they find that it does not answer the finery on the outside, they throw it by with the greater indignation and contempt. I hope that, when this edition of my work shall be opened and read, the best judges will find connection, consistency, solidity, and spirit in it. Mr. Hart may be recensaire and emendaire, as much as he pleases, but it will be to little purpose if you do not cooperate with him. The work will be imperfect." I thank you for your last information of our success in the Mediterranean, and you say very rightly that a Secretary of State ought to be well informed. I hope, therefore, that you will take care that I shall. You are near the busy scene in Italy, and I doubt not but that, by frequently looking at the map, you have all that theatre of the war very perfect in your mind. I like your account of the salt-works, which shows that you gave some attention while you were seeing them. But notwithstanding that, by your account, the Swiss salt is, I dare say, very good, yet I am apt to suspect that it falls a little short of the true Attic salt, in which there was a peculiar quickness and delicacy. That same Attic salt seasoned almost all Greece, except Boeotia, and a great deal of it was exported afterward to Rome, where it was counterfeited by a composition called urbanity, which in some time was brought to very near the perfection of the original Attic salt. The more you are powdered with these two kinds of salt, the better you will keep, and the more you will be relished. Adieu. My compliments to Mr. Hart and Mr. Elliot. Letter 9. London, April 14th, Old Style, 1747. Dear boy, if you feel half the pleasure from the consciousness of doing well, that I do from the informations I have lately received in your favour for Mr. Hart, I shall have little occasion to exhort or admonish you any more to do what your own satisfaction and self-love will sufficiently prompt you to. Mr. Hart tells me that you attend, and that you apply to your studies, and that, beginning to understand, you begin to taste them. This pleasure will increase, and keep pace with your attention, so that the balance will be greatly to your advantage. You may remember that I have always earnestly recommended to you to do what you are about, be that what it will and to do nothing else at the same time. Do not imagine that I mean by this, that you should attend to and plod at your book all day long. Far from it. I mean that you should have your pleasures too, and that you should attend to them for the time, as much as to your studies. And if you do not attend equally to both, you will neither have improvement nor satisfaction from either. A man is fit for neither business nor pleasure, who either cannot or does not command and direct his attention to the present object and in some degree banish for that time all other objects from his thoughts. If at a ball, a supper, or a party of pleasure, a man were to be solving in his own mind a problem in Euclid, he would be a very bad companion, 
and make a very poor figure in that company. Or if, in studying a problem in his closet, he were to think of a minuet, I am apt to believe that he would make a very poor mathematician. There is time enough for everything, in the course of the day, if you do but one thing at once. But there is not time enough in the year, if you will do two things at a time. The pensionary de Witt, who was torn to pieces in the year 1672, did the whole business of the Republic, and yet had time to go to assemblies in the evening and sup in company. Being asked how he could possibly find time to go through so much business, and yet amuse himself in the evenings as he did, he answered, there was nothing so easy, for that it was only doing one thing at a time, and never putting off anything till to-morrow that could be done to-day. This steady and undissipated attention to one object is a sure mark of a superior genius, as hurry, bustle, and agitation are the never-failing symptoms of a weak and frivolous mind. When you read Horace, attend to the justness of his thoughts, the happiness of his diction, and the beauty of his poetry, and do not think of Puffendorf de Homine el Cive, and when you are reading Puffendorf, do not think of Madame de Saint-Germain, nor of Puffendorf, when you are talking to Madame de Saint-Germain. Mr. Hart informs me that he has reimbursed you part of your losses in Germany, and I consent to his reimbursing you of the whole, now that I know you deserve it. I shall grudge you nothing, nor shall you want anything that you desire, provided you deserve it, so that, you see, it is in your own power to have whatever you please. There is a little book which you read here with Monsieur Coderre, entitled Manière de bien penser dans l'ouvrage d'Esprit, written by Pierre Bonheur. I wish you would read this book again at your leisure hours, for it will not only divert you, but likewise form your taste, and give you a just manner of thinking. Adieu. Letter 10. London, June 30th, Old Style, 1747. Dear boy, I was extremely pleased with the account which you gave me in your last, of the civilities that you received in your Swiss progress, and I have written by this post to Mr. Burnaby, and to the Avoyer, to thank them for their parts. If the attention you met with pleased you, as I dare say it did, you will, I hope, draw this general conclusion from it, that attention and civility please all those to whom they are paid, and that you will please others in proportion as you are attentive and civil to them. Bishop Burnett has wrote his travels through Switzerland, and Mr. Stanion, from a long residence there, has written the best account, yet extant, of the thirteen cantons. But those books will be read no more, I presume, after you shall have published your account of that country. I hope you will favour me with one of the first copies. To be serious, though I do not desire that you should immediately turn author, and oblige the world with your travels, yet wherever you go, I would have you as curious and inquisitive as if you did intend to write them. I do not mean that you should give yourself so much trouble, to know the number of houses, inhabitants, signposts, and tombstones, of every town that you go through, but that you should inform yourself, as well as your stay will permit you, whether the town is free, or to whom it belongs, or in what manner, whether it has any peculiar privileges or customs, what trade or manufactures, and other such particulars as people of sense desire to know. And there would be no manner of harm if you were to take memorandums of such things in a paper-book to help your memory. The only way of knowing all these things is to keep the best company, who can best inform you of them. I am just now called away, so good-night. End of section 4. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.